Good morning. Good morning. Oh, please. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, good. Okay. Just making sure that we're all in the same room. Um, it's our privilege to have Dr. Jim deal with us this morning. He was in Tennessee over the past few days uh, at a pastor and mates retreat. And, uh, and the name of the town again, Dr. Deal? Yeah, then Tullahoma. Tullahoma. Anybody been to Tullahoma, Tennessee? <laughs> These two guys right here. So, but he's made time in his time in his schedule to come be with us today, uh, both in the morning and evening uh, service. Uh, so glad you're here. Are you glad you're here? Uh, okay. Uh, we have been using this for our theme. Would you say it with me? We are being transformed into Christ's likeness. One more time. We are being transformed into Christ's likeness. And in order for that to happen, he has to be the focus of everything we are and everything we do. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I want us to start with a song that I think, you know, um, we're just going to kind of ease our way into it. So I need a chord. By your grace, known you for a long time. And there have been times in our lives when we've sung that song with abandon and other times when we sing it with qualification. And so we pray again for the grace that we need this morning to sing it with abandon. No conditions, no ifs, no qualifications. That you are able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine. And we'll need your help to trust you that way. We thank you for Dr. Deal and for the witness of his life, for his friendship to the college, for his dedication to your kingdom and the encouragement that that is to us. And so I ask that you would use, you, through by your spirit, use your servant for your sake. So that by the time we leave today, uh, we will be able to sing this song with a little more abandon. You are able to do exceedingly abundantly all, above all that we could ask or think. And we all ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Dr. Deal. Good. Thank you very much for Dr. Allen for the invitation to come and to be here and to be with you here at uh, Nazarene Bible College in this beautiful setting as you see out through the window there, uh, which you might be used to, but uh, you hear every, everybody who ever comes talks about what it looks like here when you can see it. And boy, what a, what a clear, beautiful day. And it's good to be back in Colorado. I've been uh, too, too many places this fall, so I'm getting ready to settle down and to come back where I belong, at least for a while. But before we get here, jump clear, well, almost halfway around the world with me, if you will, to uh, Antalya, Turkey. I think it was two years ago when this happened. It was in the fall. It was about this time. And uh, we had a big gathering of Nazarenes in Antalya. 
Uh, I think we had, what, 500 and some there, if I remember right. They had come in from um, the Middle East and the former Soviet Union and um, some from India and others from uh, Europe and wherever. And uh, all in this place where, as you would know, Turkey is a 98% Muslim country and they are not uh, used to uh, Christian gatherings there. <laughs> so we uh, registered at the hotel and we were clearly told 10 days before by way of email, do not contact the hotel for anything. Don't contact them for anything. You are not registered at the hotel as a name. You are registered as a number. And when you come in, don't go to the normal place where you check in a hotel. You will see our little, little tables and all over here. We'll take care of you. It's okay, but uh, you don't understand the country we're in. And it, it, we're not, we can't be too public about what we're doing. Although it's self-contained, we won't be out on the streets and uh, have to have a badge or you don't get into anything. And the first thing that was said when we got there in the first meeting, this will be a paperless convention. We will not hand you a piece of paper about anything. And if you write any notes, you've got to take them with you. We cannot leave any tracks behind. You don't understand our country, so just please cooperate. So it was kind of a different thing, and I could go into all of that. And it was uh, an incredible time, especially as they had uh, singing groups from different countries or uh, different uh, regions possibly, or whatever you would call it, such as everybody from the Middle East sang one time. And you get those boys and ladies singing, but most of them were men there from everywhere from Egypt on up to uh, Jordan and uh, Lebanon and um, Syria and Israel and, and everywhere else in that territory. Uh, it, it was uh, music like I had not heard with such excitement and blessing. And I need to hurry up to tell you that I was honored and privileged on Sunday morning to ordain there the first Nazarene pastor uh, ever ordained in Baghdad, Baghdad, Iraq. And there he is and his wife and boy and, and uh, with a name here and such celebration <laughs> might cause some of us to think they got out of hand. They, uh, it, it, was not, it was more than just good, good. It was uh, some kind of a holy demonstration. And I think we do have four churches now in Iraq and all of the rest. So if you can put all of that into your mind and the, uh, the energy, the enthusiasm, the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and on and on and on, Monday, uh, then we went somewhere else that I'll tell you about in a second, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I think it was Thursday when I finally got on a plane and I headed from Antalya to uh, Germany. I think it was Frankfurt. I think Frankfurt, Chicago, Chicago, Denver. I'm saying all of that to say that my brain was dead. <laughs> I, I was not in any mood to be thinking up a new sermon or reading some high-powered book. My brain was too tired. I think you have experienced that somewhere along the trail where your brain is just too tired. So I was uh, flying that ark that they, uh, that they take in that journey when you leave Germany and you are clear up over Greenland, Iceland, and you come dropping in from the north to Chicago. And I said, um, 
Well, I'm a little tired of looking at these magazines, so I pulled out my New Testament out of my little briefcase. And here's the question that came to me. I wonder what Jesus said after the resurrection. Now, most of us have preached a whole lot on what Jesus said up to the cross, including the cross. Three years. That's just about all of the, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. What did he say after the resurrection? Was there any pattern in what, whatever he said? Uh, did he say something over and over again, or was it just whatever? So I read Matthew from the resurrection on, Mark, Luke, John, and I'll just uh, stay with John this morning, but if this, if this would strike a note of interest to you, go back and read whatever you find in Matthew and Mark and Luke and now John, and it's chapter 20 and verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, and I believe we could say locked, because you'll find out in a second here, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, this is after the resurrection, but they're petrified about what's going to happen next. There, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst. I don't believe he opened the door. He just appeared in the room and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I think that's the understatement of the whole book of John. <laughs> they, they were pitching their hats in the air. Jesus, Jesus, you know, it had to be something dramatic. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. He said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my, the, my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Uh, he was a great <laughs> disciple in the making, wasn't he? <laughs> of course, that's where he got his title, Doubting Thomas. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. I think you can hear and tell the pattern. Peace to you. Peace to you. And now, eight days later, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here, put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. The NIV says, stop doubting and believe. Boy, that, that would preach. Uh, that is, that's very good. <laughs> Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. 
Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they have believed. If you pick it up in Luke, and then you'll also catch it in Matthew and Mark. Peace to you. Peace to you. Peace to you. Was that just a greeting? Like, hey, how are you doing? Or was he trying to communicate a huge truth? I believe the resurrected Jesus was communicating a huge truth. I don't think that was just, hey, uh, hey, y'all doing okay? Peace to you. And he repeated that, and again, and again, and again. Peace to you. Well, my tired brain on that plane, then uh, said, asked, I think I knew the answer, but what, what did the angels sing when Jesus was born? Did they have anything to say about peace? So I turned back to Luke chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You all know about that. The angel uh, and soon many, many angels appeared in the sky to the shepherds in the, uh, in the dark of the night. And that's chapter 2. And now in verse 10, do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you in this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men I circled that because I circled peace to you each time the very thing Jesus said after the resurrection is what the angel sang in the sky when he was born. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. My brothers and sisters, I don't think this is all coincidence. There's a message here. There's a message here. Peace. And then I leafed back in the Bible and came back to John again and turned back over there to chapter 14, which is a verse that you all know, and you preachers have all preached from this, 1427, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Mm, what truth. How about 16 and 33? These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. The world will, uh, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And he said that he would give us peace. My peace. Peace to you. <clears throat> That is a declaration from our Lord after the resurrection, before the res resurrection, from the angels at the time of his birth. And other places, if you'll just search it on out. My friends, I have come to believe. I don't think you've heard me say this yet. Many of you have heard me preach a bunch. 
I don't think you've heard me say this. I have come to believe in my life that the greatest gift that God gives us, you've heard me preach about joy, and I believe that we ought to reflect that. And you've heard me probably preach about we need to be people of compassion, and that comes from the Lord within. And all of the rest, I've come to believe God's greatest gift to us is his peace. That's the greatest gift God gives to us, is his peace. I believe in the joy, and I believe in love, and I believe in all the rest. But as you go through life, uh, if you have any kind of experience like I've had, you begin to learn that the constant is the peace. Praise the Lord. Just quickly to, re to recollect now, when you were born again, when you were, when you were converted, when you became a new creature in Christ Jesus and you were saved, what was the general emotional feeling that you had when, when you became a Christian? I think it would be that you experienced peace. Thank God. My sins are forgiven. <laughs> They've been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness forever. Thank you, Jesus. And you went home, unless you were already home, but you went home in peace. What was the emotion that you felt or the feeling when, when you finally learned in your Christian life that our Lord wants more than our sins? As I have said, you have given me your sins, <clears throat> now give me yourself. That's a whole different prayer. Forgive me, Jesus, forgive me, I'm sorry. Thank God, yes. But as we walk along, we find out, and that's the whole next truth of, of not giving our sins, but consecration, surrender. I've only got one life, I've only got one body, Lord, it's yours. Total, total surrender to God. Consecration, if you will. Not bringing the lamb anymore to church and putting it on the altar for remission of sins. Behold the lamb of God, Jesus. We don't bring a lamb anymore. We don't bring a dove. We don't bring a goat. Now God said, I want you. I want you as the sacrifice. I want you on the altar. And I would love to tell you my story, but uh, you've either heard it or you're going to hear it next time. <laughs> but when I came to the place where I was in a tug of war, not over sinning and walking with Jesus, I had been a Christian now seven or eight months, and it was quite a dramatic change in my life as a high school boy between my, in my junior year, but now between my junior and senior year, when I urgently, sincerely wanted to be a sports writer or a sports announcer on WHO Radio Des Moines, Iowa, or a sports telecaster. And you say, oh, man, you're just kind of making that up, putting that back. No, 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 no. I was the sports editor of the high school paper, North High Oracle. 
I took the pictures and I wrote the articles. <laughs> That was a big deal, man. I was a sports editor, North High Oracle. I took all the journalism that the, that the high school had, North High. I took extra English. I took composition or whatever. I did everything I could. I even took speech because I figured if I ever get on radio and announce the Iowa Hawkeyes, I'd have to know how to talk. So I took whatever speech they had in uh, North High. <laughs> And I, as some of you maybe, yeah, yeah, some of you have Iowa connections, I guess. So, Dr. Madsen born there just like I was. WHO, the 50,000 watt blowtorch of the Middle West. WHO, Dumbawine. I had that baby down, man, I can say that. And I said to my buddies back there, someday Jim Zobel, he was the sports anchor on WHO. <laughs> Jim Zobel, I will take his place. I'll take his place and I'll be WHO. <laughs> it's not wrong to have a dream. It's not wrong to have a big vision for your life. I want you to be a preacher. Lord, I don't want to be a preacher. I'm going to be a sports writer, Des Moines Register and Tribune, or I'm going to be a sports announcer, WHO, Jim Zobel. I'll take his place. I want you to be a preacher. That went on for a long time. I'm talking about a tug of war. Lord, I, I am a Christian. I want to go to heaven. <laughs> but I want to do what I want to do on the way. And I'm going to be a Christian sports writer. <laughs> I'm going to be a Christian sports announcer. But I'm, I'm not, I, don't want to be a, I don't want to be a preacher. I want to be a Christian. don't want to be a preacher Christian. Uh, besides, Lord, if you make me be a preacher, you're going to put me in the last church just before you fall off the edge of the state. And that's where I'm going to die like a yellow dog under the front porch. You say, now, why'd you throw that in? I heard in some old evangelist, the Iowa camp meeting, man, you got to shake your head to get this right. You got to die like a yellow dog under the front porch. I won't forget that if I live to be 110. Some of you, I think he made it to your, to your districts, too. I believe he did. You, you know, you got to shake it. you got to die like a yellow dog under the front porch. Well, I don't know what a yellow dog's got to do with this deal, and I don't know what the front porch has got to do with this deal, but it didn't sound too inviting to me. <laughs> I want to get on the radio. Hey, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Woo, 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 woo. you got to die like a yellow dog under the front porch. <laughs> I believe the evangelist has made it to all of our former locations. <laughs> Wednesday night, Iowa camp meeting, one, three weeks before I became a, a senior in, at North High. Got there late because I worked, and uh, got there late because of the summer job, sat in the back. I was so weary of this tug of war. I want to obey God, but I want to do what I want to do. And I finally, I sat down. The preacher was into the message. I have no idea what the brother preached. I heard the Spirit say this to me. Make up your mind. God's way or your way. The preacher didn't say that. I heard that in my head. I believe that was the Spirit. I said, Lord, I'm tired of this tug of war. If that long-winded preacher will ever quit, I'm ready to pray. And he finally did and had an invitation. I didn't have to wait for three verses. I was down that long aisle, knelt over on this side. I had to die out to one thing, and that was what I wanted to do in life. 
and others have had to die out to a bunch of other stuff. I have, didn't have to die out to money. <laughs> I probably had three bucks. <laughs> I didn't have any money. Didn't have to die out to fame. <laughs> they didn't know me three blocks from where I lived. I had to die out to what I wanted to do. You know what I mean? I had to nail self-will Jim deal to the cross. That night, on a Wednesday night at an Iowa camp meeting as I was going into my senior year of high school, the Lord sanctified my soul, set me free from my selfish will, and that's the night I've said, yes, Lord, if you want me to be a preacher, if that's part of this deal for me, yes, Lord. And when the yes was cried out, the cleansing and in filling came. Well, how did you feel, brother? <laughs> it would be okay to run around and whoop and say, glory. That would be okay. But I didn't do that. I got up. There were a bunch of people around. Seemed like a bunch of preachers praying for me, beating me on the back, shaking my hand, hugging me. And I sat down on the front bench. This is the way it was. I had never experienced such peace in my life. The Civil War was over. I wanted not only to go to heaven, but I wanted to obey God on the journey. And if you want me a preacher, just go ahead and tell me where to go, what to do. That's why every class, every class, every class that I took at Olivet, Every elective was something that would help me to be a preacher. I didn't take anything other than, will this help me to be a pastor? I thought it was all going to be a pastor in my life. And so everything from the, the normal courses that you all teach to, to business math, I took that because I said, if I'm going to be a pastor, I ought to understand a little bit about business. And I don't have time to talk about that, but that little old course of business math helped me to be a better pastor. I understood a little bit about income. I mean, you have to have as much coming in as going out. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of preachers that haven't understood that yet. <laughs> still, they just still haven't had that class yet. But anyway, better hurry on. <laughs> what did I feel? And you don't base your religion on feelings, but what did I feel when I got sanctified? The peace of God. What do you feel? What is the emotion that you experience when the person who has hurt you, they actually lied about you. They walked out on your marriage and left you standing, crying. Or maybe in a church somewhere, somebody said something to you they shouldn't say to anybody. And they left you bruised and weeping. Or what happened at work. Or whatever. When you finally gave that person to God. Or those persons. Him, her, them. And you finally said, Lord, I, it was wrong. But I'm going to end up as bitter as they are. I give them to you, Jesus. What happened? You went home in peace. You went home in peace. Amen. I've done that. 
I still have to do that because <laughs> there are some people still not behaving themselves. <laughs> you have to put them on the altar. That's just good Nazarene talk for you got to give them to Jesus. And when you suffer the greatest loss of life, whatever that might be to you, your dad died, your mom died, your spouse died, you suffered a divorce, which might be worse than death, or your son died, as happened to us last year, right here. What do you do then when my entire being was being um, was, was being crushed. Our youngest son died, and I watched it for two years. I would love to tell you a little bit about how that developed, but just let me tell you, it was agony on Dad when Dave would call from Colorado Springs. You all know that he was here. <clears throat> Dad, how long are you going to be home? Two days, Monday, Tuesday. Okay, I'm getting Laurie and the girls, and we're driving up to Castle Rock, Duke's Restaurant. Never heard of the place in my life. Duke's is on the south end of town. He said, I like Duke's. <laughs> okay, Dave, where's Duke's? Okay. And that's where we would meet, and we would talk, and we would cry, and he would look thinner, and his color wasn't good. And I knew what was happening, but I'm the dad. I tried to encourage him. We'd pray, we'd go out in the parking lot, and we'd pray with the kids, you know, Lexi, Danny, Lori, we'd hug. And I, he was so thin I could count his ribs. It, it was about to kill me. I would see the lights of their car go into the darkness and he would head south. And, ease on to I-25, and I would get into my car in the restaurant of Duke's and put my head on the steering wheel and sob like a baby. And I'd say, honey, I can't take this. I can't take this. We're seeing Dave die right in front of our eyes. And she said, no, 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 Jim, don't, don't, don't talk like that. I said, honey, he's dying. Finally, she'd pat my leg and say, well, you can't drive if you can't see, so you better wipe your eyes. We got to get for home. I'd wipe my eyes and head home. Y'all understand that. You've gone through something like that. What do you do when you suffer the greatest loss of your life? Let me, let me just say, if I can turn to the right page here, and I probably can't right now, but well, there he is. It was one thing to give the baby Dave to the district superintendent, and we had dedication and we gave Dave to God. We've done that with all four children. It was another thing for the adult, Dave, to finally say, I give him to you, Jesus. If you don't heal him, I'm going to serve you anyway. He's yours. Now, that was not as fun as the dedication. That was, that was pure agony. And if it was hard on me, it was 
triply hard on my wife, his mom. But what, what, what's my point? At, at this hospital right down the trail, when he died on a Monday morning at 9.20, with all the family there and Lori's mom and dad, as well as uh, one sister, I believe, maybe one brother as well, there was so much God that moved into that room that we started to sing and cry and hug each other, sing. He died at 9.20. At 10, I said, I think I better call the funeral director. I think it's time. Don said, no, Dad, we're not done having church yet. And he started singing. And I don't want you to think we're a strange family. <laughs> I don't really want you to think we're kind of bizarre. I didn't call the funeral director till noon. I have never been in a place in my life where there was so much God. We couldn't get out of there. Nurses would come and they'd stand at the door and look and put their hands kind of up to their face and wipe tears and leave. It wasn't us, it was God. I, I want to tell you before I close, I think I know what joy is, but I don't think I felt any in that room. I think I know what um, love is, but somebody I dearly love just left us. The emotion that flooded that room was the peace of God. I am being honest with you. I'm not putting this on. I thank you, Jesus. He saved me from the anger part, and he saved me from the resentment part. And he saved me from the bitterness part. Somewhere or another, the peace of God hugged our hearts. And that's the only way I can go out and preach today. Is because the peace of God is greater than the loss of life. The losses of life. Amen? So my message to you today is... What did Jesus say after the resurrection? Peace to you. Peace to you. Peace to you. Peace to you. I'll still keep, I'll, I'll still keep preaching on joy. And I'll still preach on be compassionate. And, but I'll be preaching till the day I die more on God's peace than I ever have before. That's what people are longing for today. Well, it's about time to go. And uh, I <clears throat> will finish by saying, if you will not judge me for what I'm now going to tell you and not feel bad toward me about this, uh, because it's, it could be taken as self-serving, but I don't mean it that way. Antalya, back where we started. <clears throat> Afterwards, they said, you know that we don't pay you for coming over here. We didn't even pay you, any of you five speakers for your travel expense. You had to get that from somebody else. We don't have any money to pay you honorariums or travel. But what we will do, if you want to go, we have a three-day tour to the seven churches of Revelation. And we'll take you on a tour of the seven churches of Revelation as our thanks. Of course, they told us this two months before so we could make the flight arrangements right. 
And I said, yes, I think I'll stay for that. We had a Muslim driver and a Muslim guide. It was the last week of Ramadan. And without going into all that happened, the, dr the driver was extremely aloof from us. There was no communication with that old boy. Hello, that was all. The guide took a liking to we 13 Christians. He started to eat with us. We would pray for the meal in the name of Jesus, amen. And we all knew he was Muslim, but <clears throat> it's okay. <coughs> it was the second day of the three. This man is uh, that much taller than I am and very thin. I cannot give his name, <clears throat> but there it is. <clears throat> if this would get out back there, he would lose his job, if not more. He pulled me aside and took me to the back of the van on that second day. By my sleeve, pulled me back to the back of the van. And here's what he said to me. I want a face like yours. <laughs> I said, uh, I've never had anybody say that before. <clears throat> uh, what do you mean? <clears throat> he said, I want a face like yours. And I called him by his name and I, first name and I said, what do you mean? He said, you have peace and joy on your face, and I want one like that. Isn't that something? And I said to him, I didn't put it there. Jesus did. And you can get it from Jesus just like I did. And it was time to go. You know, most witnessing is just a word here and a word there. I'll close now by <clears throat> the last day. Next day, he came in <clears throat> in the morning in breakfast, <clears throat> and he said, my wife is a school teacher, and uh, we have to, uh, she wants to buy a gift for this Ramadan, and she's going to buy a gift for uh, the, the, the most needy person in the class. And she, he said, I've been talking about you Christians to her. So she said this morning on the cell phone, she said, have those Christians pray a blessing on me. So uh, the leader, Gustavo Crocker, said, Brother Dio, would you, uh, <clears throat> uh, would you pray a blessing on his wife? So I prayed a blessing on somebody that I don't know. A long name that I could not pronounce correctly, but whatever I prayed. That night came in. We were having our last meal together. <clears throat> he came in a little late. He was grinning from ear to ear. And we looked at him. He said, you all got to hear this. You have to hear this. You have to hear this. He said, my wife went to a shoe store, and she bought a pair of shoes. And she said, these are not for me. It's for somebody in my class. I'm a school teacher. And I'm giving, well, everybody over there, they're all Muslim. They all know. They're all giving somebody a gift. It's the last week of Ramadan. <clears throat> and, this, and the owner said, would you take another pair of shoes if I'd put a pair in too and take it to somebody else? Evidently, she said, yes. He went in the back room, came back out. <laughs> and dumped 15 pairs of new shoes on her. 15. And she bought one, so she had 16. And he stood there and looked at us, and he said, you prayed a blessing on my wife, and she nearly got drowned in shoes. <laughs> I looked at him with that smile on his face, and I said, 
to myself, he thinks Jesus did that. <laughs> and so do I. Jesus did that. Praise God. The peace, the joy, if it is on my countenance, it's from Jesus. That's my only prayer, and may it be yours as well. Bless you, Alan. Bless you all. Praise God. Amen. Father, we pray for renewed grace to trust you. We thank you for your offering of peace, and we ask for the grace we need to receive it. Yes, Lord. And we pray, too, for the grace to exchange whatever it is we hold on to that impedes your gift of peace to yes. us. Thank you for what you've said to us this morning. We give you praise. Yes. Amen. Go in his yes. peace.